Let me open us up with some prayer. Father, thank you for our time together. Pray that you would go before us as we look into the word, as we come to understand your program for your church. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, maybe remind us of things we've already seen, help us to think about ways that we can be about your business. God, I pray that our hearts would be so settled, would be so confident in your program for your church that we move forward with courage and boldness and passion and that we get to enjoy and experience and taste of the wonderful work that you are about. So, Lord, help us in our time together. May you be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was, I was looking at some pictures this, uh, this past week, and I wanted to share them with you. There we go. Who are those people? Kind of, kind of thinking, okay, uh, those, those people are unfamiliar to me a little bit. Uh, they're, they're so young. Um, what, what were they thinking about in, in having children? Six months after they were married and getting married so soon. And, um, of course, that wasn't our initial plan. The, the initial plan was we were going to get, start having kids about ten years down the road. That was my plan. That wasn't Sarah's plan. You know, I, that's what, that's what good common sense would, would, would indicate we should be doing. But, um, that wasn't, that wasn't what, what happened for us. Six months into marriage, Sarah's 20, I'm 24, find out we're, we're pregnant, and we begin a family. I was thinking about that as it relates to just multiplication. Okay, you start having kids, you start having a family. There, there's something that happens for couples, at least couples that love Jesus. There, there are things that happen through multiplication that, that, that won't happen any other way. At least, not as quickly. <laughs> Let me just introduce you to, to a few of those things. First, it, it makes you more dependent on God, right? You, you begin to wonder, okay, what in the world just happened? Uh, what in the world are we going to do? How, how are we going to, to raise this little life? Um, God, we, we need you because this is a person and we want to make sure that this little person is, uh, is, is walking after you. We don't want to mess this up. This is too big for us to, to get wrong. So, so Lord, we, we, we need you. We're dependent on you. We're trusting that, that, that your grace will lead us. We, we understand, as Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so, so something about multiplication drives us to dependence on God. It drives us to dependence probably in a way that nothing else does. You learn that you can't change your heart. You can change behavior, but you can't change your heart. <laughs> you, you learn that you can introduce uh, ideas 
But, but there's not a whole lot you can do to convince that little person that those ideas are good ideas. And, and God's got to do that work. So, so there is this, this deep dependence on God to do something that you know, like no other thing, you know that only God can do. And so multiplication is good, especially for families and especially for churches. Because it drives you to dependence on God like nothing else will. By the way, this isn't meant to be comprehensive. Just some some thoughts that came to my mind. Of course, uh, multiplication forces you to search the scripture. (laughs) How in the world am I going to be the kind of daddy that God has asked me to be? How in the world now does this multiplication of now introducing or having another little life in my home, now, now how does this affect my relationship with my, my spouse? Um, how, how am I supposed to lay the foundation for training in righteousness that my, my kids will need? I, I've gotta, I've gotta pour myself into the scripture. I gotta figure out what, what God has to say about this because Again, I don't want to mess this up. And by God's grace, he's given me the instructions that I need to do multiplication and raise a family the way he wants me to raise a family. And by the way, the beauty of raising a family God's way is that whether or not your children walk with God, that is not on you. Because God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who who transforms. And, and so I, I want to be faithful. I want to couple myself to dependence upon the word of God. I want, I want to follow the principles that God has given to me, but, but, but praise the Lord, it doesn't depend on me. And so I, 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 I make sure my heart is aligned to the word of God. I make sure I'm following the, the instructions that he's set before me. And, and, I, and I pursue the scripture and seek as, as well as I can to make sure that our home is a picture of what I find in the Word of God. It drives me to the Word. Multiplication does that, probably in a way that nothing else does quite as convincingly. Multiplication drives you to think of others. I'm sure that all of us can kind of resonate with this. Once you begin having a family, I want to be careful how I say this, it is my conviction that once you begin a family, now that family becomes the priority. It is now your primary ministry. And so my, it was my conviction, and I don't want to apply this on everybody. I don't think I can find a biblical verse for this. But, but it, it wasn't like I need to have some me time. There wasn't, su- there, wasn't, there wasn't such a thing as me time anymore once I became married, once I started having kids. There, there was no such thing as me time because uh, me time in, in God's economy, God has, has called a man to leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife. The two will be one flesh. And so me time is us time, right? In terms of that verse. And so the commitment and the priority of family and multiplication is the same kind of thing. I don't, I've never had, I can't remember a time, I don't want to lie, I can't remember a time where I've ever ever had a, I need to go out with the boys. Or Sarah has never gone out with the girls. It's not been that way. Because once you have a family, now there's a commitment, a responsibility, and 
Your whole world changes. Last one. It doesn't, this isn't all-inclusive. It compels you to consider or plan for the future. There's something about multiplication that forces you, drives you, compels you to think about the future. I mean, it was kind of fun when we first got married to kind of make these in-the-moment kinds of, hey, what if we go to such and such a place? Oh, yeah, I like that idea. Let's go. And there was some of that that could happen, sort of, not really, when we started having kids. You can kind of put them in the back of the car. They'll sleep for most of the way. But um, the truth is that now your world changes. Now there's got to be some planning that takes place. Now, now there's got to be some anticipation of the future. There, there's got to be a, a way in which you're, you're, you're trying to direct and, gar- and guide your kids, their hearts, their lives, their attention in, in a way that's going to be pleasing the Lord. It's just like the, the Psalm 127 kind of person who, who has this quiver of arrows and it represents the, the family that God has given to us and, and those arrows are, are meant to be guided to a target and so as, as moms and dads in, in, in being responsible with the children that we have we're, we, we're guiding our kids planning for the future thinking about where does God want our children to be? How can I build into their life? How, how can I turn them loose in a way that's going to set them up for success? How am I going to give them this body of truth that's going to help establish them in godly thinking so they will be settled and established for the future? I'm thinking about the future. There's something that happens this way when we multiply as families. It probably shouldn't be a surprise to us to consider the fact that these kinds of things can also only happen as we embrace a passion and a commitment to multiplying as a church. There's something about trusting God that can only happen when we choose to get out of what's comfortable and choose to commit ourselves to to, to either planting a church or sending out good, capable people as we're considering how we might come alongside uh, the ministries around us and, and, and partner with them in some way. There, there's something about multiplying that, can, that, that is necessary for us in helping to shape our love for God and our commitment to trust Him in ways we've never trusted Him before. To search the scripture. How do we do this? But what are, the, what are God's instructions for multiplying as a church? For thinking about the future in terms of how can we strategically raise up in our church people that we intend to launch in some way, either here in Columbus or around the world in terms of sending them to the mission that God has called them to. There's something about multiplying a heart and a commitment to multiplication that can only help us as a church grow in these ways and nothing else can. So I want to take this, this kind of the, the, the overarching phrase of our, of our class, multiplying churches, train and send. And I want, to, I want to just unpack each of those words for us throughout the course of our time together and try to remind us of the things that we know already and and help us to understand God's 
plan for church multiplication. And and in and, and this session, I, I want to just I want to just set this before us as a as a group of believers to know this is what God has called us to do. And then tomorrow in our next steps, for those of you who are interested in being part of that, is how are we as a church at Maranatha going to try to strategically tackle that commitment? What what are the steps we're going to take? To try to revitalize Columbus, try to re- revitalize the churches that are struggling and dying in the OERBC, how we're going to come alongside these churches, raise up people in our midst who are gifted and capable in carrying out that work of discipleship in other places so that, so that we can be about kingdom work and not just to be about Maranatha work, all right? So let's begin with multiplying churches. Multiplying churches. So what, what, what is a multiplying church? I want to just begin with, uh, we're trying to answer that question. I've got, I've got two, two descriptions or two ways to help us understand what is a multiplying church. These, of course, aren't comprehensive, but I think that in my mind, these are the most important, okay? First, a multiplying church is a biblical church. A multiplying church is a biblical church. Now, I want to caveat this because not every multiplying church is a biblical church. All right? We know plenty of churches around our country and around the world that are anything but biblical. Some of the biggest churches in the world are some of the, the, the least biblical churches we would, we would ever want to identify or associate with. Okay, so, so, so just because it's a multiplying church doesn't mean it's a biblical church, but I, but I do want you to know that every biblical church will multiply. Every biblical church will multiply. Okay, so I, I want to make a case for this biblically. I want to demonstrate this from the Word of God so that you're like, okay, that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong statement, Andrew. Uh, let's back this up a little bit with, with the Scripture. Hey, you want to be a biblical church, then you tell me from the Bible uh, how that plays out. Okay, let's, let's, let's do this. Acts 1.8. This is Christ on the day of his ascension, talking with his disciples in, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Okay, so I I want you to notice a couple of things. First, I, I want you to notice that this is happening because of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this... Somewhat shocking statement that Jesus makes the night before his crucifixion, where he says, it is good for you that I go away. And the disciples must have thought in that moment, you're what? You're going away? What's happening? And and it's good for you, for us, that you go away? Are you kidding me? What could be worse? Having you has been the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And Jesus says, no, it's good. And here's why. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. The Holy Spirit is going to be indwelling you. And the Holy Spirit is going to set forth a mission process that will be unstoppable. So, first, it's happening through the Holy Spirit. The second 
observation I want you to make is, is the words of Christ, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You can, you can put your the money in the bank. You, you can, my, my reputation is at stake. Uh, my commitment to this objective is that you will be witnesses, not only here in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's going to happen. You can bet on it. He doesn't say that. You can take it to the bank. It's written in a future tense that doesn't leave any exceptions. It's going to happen because the Holy Spirit will make it happen. And I'm promising that it's going to take place because this is my plan. This is my program. So you will be witnesses not only in Jerusalem, but it's also going to happen as I'm going to carry your ministry to Judea and Samaria. I'm going to carry your ministry to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you might not like it at first. (laughs) We're going to see that in just, just a moment. But it's going to happen. You can trust it. I'm promising this. So, multiplication is, is Christ's idea. It's his program for the church from the very beginning. I want, don't want you to stay in place. Don't stay put in Jerusalem. There's a, there's a world to reach. There are nations that need to hear the gospel. It's only going to happen one way. So, this becomes the testimony of the book of Acts. And I want to just draw your attention to the number of times where God multiplies the church, God multiplies his people. The gospel has its effect. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord, maybe I should say, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's God's work. He's the one who's making it happen. He's the one who promised it would happen. He's the one who causes it to happen. It rests in his power. It rests in his life-giving words. He is going to carry it through. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Many of those who heard the word believed. And the number reached, grew to be about 5,000. God added to their number. Acts chapter 6. I actually missed Acts chapter 5, verse 14, where it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's Acts 5, 14. Now, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and then 7. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many priests became obedient to the faith. So they're like, okay, great, that's uh, Jerusalem. What about the rest of the world? Well, so that's God's next strategy. Those who were scattered went abroad preaching the word. Philip went down Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, and when they believed Philip... As he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The multiplication of the word, of the church, because of the word of God and the power of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, 31. So that was Samaria. What about Judea? Well, here we go. Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up 
in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That's God's program for his church, multiplication. And we move to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and 21. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, turned to the Lord. That's what God did. So, in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, But the word of God increased and multiplied. The recurring theme from verse to verse is the power of the word of God coupled with the authority of Jesus Christ and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit accomplishing his objective, carrying through his promise at the very beginning of the, of the church age, calling his church to multiplying and God's making it happen through his word. It is unstoppable. And as Peter says, you alone have the words of life. Truly, Christ accomplishes his objective. Churches that are driven by the word of God will multiply. Every biblical church is a multiplying church. And every church thus should strive for this. So it's a biblical church. I'm going to skip this next verse for the sake of time. It's also a healthy church. Now, again, just as, with, uh, just as with biblical churches, we understand that just because it might be a multiplying church doesn't mean it's a healthy church. But every healthy church and every biblical church will multiply. It will grow because every living thing, every healthy thing produces growth in life. Why? Well, because the word is powerful, as we just saw. Because of the presence of Christ, the mission he has called us to, and because his reputation is at stake. His mission is set before us, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not come against it, will not prevail against it. And so as we decide to align our life in obedience to Christ, he will graciously draw us in and use us as a catalyst for carrying out his mission that he has promised to do. He's going to build his church. You want to be a part of that or not part of that? Well, if you want to be part of that, then you come alongside, you align your heart to what God says, and then he'll put you to work. That's what God does. Another very familiar verse in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came to them, his disciples, and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I've been doing a lot of talking. Why does Jesus start with this? All authority has been given to me. Why does he begin there on this this mighty command, this really overarching, quite terrifying command? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Why would he start with that? Okay, gives a foundation for his command. In what way? That's good. So so Jesus says... um, 
I've got all authority. And so this is what I'm telling you to do. Make it happen, guys. Right? That's true. What else? It cannot fail. It cannot fail. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, she's the, kind of the, the, pet, the pet student in the class, yes. <laughs> Both of you had good answers, by the way. That was a, I'll take all answers. That's good. <clears throat> What's that? That's right. You will do this. I will see it through. I will make it happen. You can trust me. Right? Now, any of you who have been assigned a job from your employer, maybe your boss comes to you and says, hey, I want you to do this job. And then you say, well, um, in order to do this job, I need this. He's like, well, I don't have authority to give you that. And you're like, what? How am I supposed to get this done? If you, I don't, if you don't have the authority to help me get the resources I need to make it happen. And, and if I tell my coworkers, so-and-so is asking me to put together this project, and like, who's so-and-so? I don't report to him. Who cares? Well, one of the greatest joys we have in the Christian life is that we have unlimited resources that come from God himself. We have unlimited power that comes from God himself. And so the, the mission that he sends us on is a mission that, has, that is equipped with every power and every authority that is known to humankind because it's coming from God himself. And so as he sends us on mission, we can go with confidence in knowing that God will see it through because he has all authority and all power. His plan is unstoppable. It's been set from the beginning of time. We can trust it. We just have to do it. That's our problem so often. We don't trust in the unlimited authority of Christ. To go back to what you said, Keith, we don't see that he is the authority to call the shots in our life, or we might give it a a, a passing um, affirmation. Yeah, he is God. I should do what he says, but, but practically how that works out in our life is we're our, our own authority, not him, right? Hmm. And maybe the truth is too, any of you who are, who are part of the, the past session with Tim Aislinger talking about missional communities, maybe we come overcomplicate things. Maybe our thought about multiplication isn't in line with God's thought about multiplication. Maybe it's much simpler than we, than we expect. So every church is going to be a multiplying church that's a healthy church. Because when we couple our life to obey the program, the mission that God has set, all authority, the authority of heaven stands behind it and causes it to happen. Who could be more blessed than we as believers? So here's how it plays out in the ministry of, Jesus, uh, of, of the Apostle Paul. This is our mission statement for, our mission verse, I should say, for this weekend. He says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ, Jesus. 
To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Okay, so let's follow this mind-blowing objective of the Apostle Paul for ministry. Okay, so what is his objective? Like at the very beginning, who does he want to share the gospel with? What's that? Every man. You're like, oh, well, time out. (laughs) To every man can't really mean every man, Paul. That's ridiculous. What are you thinking about? That could never happen. Warning every man? Are you serious? Paul, you're out of your mind. He's like, well, let me just tell you, it's not just about sharing the gospel with every man. I don't want to just do that. I want to not just share the gospel with every man, but I want to teach every man. I want to make sure they have the full composite of doctrine. Every single person on the planet. I want to teach them all. I want them all to know everything they could possibly know about the Bible. Well, that's great too, Paul. But it doesn't stop there. He, he wants to take them to the, to the final piece of maturity. He wants them to be fully complete in Jesus Christ. He wants them to be fully mature in every single way. So from the initial places of gospel ministry to the very end of bringing every person on the planet to full completion and maturity in Jesus Christ. Paul, what in, what in the world are you thinking? How, you're never going to be able to do this. That's impossible. And Paul will say, Your God is too small. Because I'm not striving with my energy. I'm striving with his energy. I'm striving with the energy that he gives to me, his working, which works in me mightily. Now, while this might have been the the mission objective of the Apostle Paul, he also understood that it it was God's agenda that he was working in. And it was God's mission that he was working. And if, and, and if God allowed him to, to reach the world, he was going to reach the world. Nothing was going to stand in his way because God's authority was behind it. But he was also entrusting himself to that same authority to know that if God cut him off from certain parts of the world and certain peoples in the world and certain responses from others, that was God's deal. That wasn't his. Make sense? He didn't have to carry the burden of what God promises to do. He just had to be faithful as a mouthpiece to share the word. All authority had been given by Jesus. So every healthy church must be a multiplying church. Multiplying churches. Multiplying churches train. How do they train? How does training happen? How does it take place? Well, it happens in a number of ways, but I'm going to just try to address three in our time today. First is they train by teaching. They train by teaching. This is formal and informal. This is large group and small group. This is public and private. This is theological and practical. This is young and old, married and single. Every setting, in every setting, the word of God must be preeminent as the final authority. We're trusting in the word of God as being sufficient, as being authoritative, as being comprehensive to address the things of life. 
And the goal is not just information. The goal is transformation. The goal isn't just imparting knowledge. The, the goal is to, is to lead our people to transformation, to change, to heart and life change. Not just instilling truth, but helping to lead them to worship. Helping them to see the God behind the truth. Helping them to understand the relationship of where they are in light of the truth they've heard. It's for heart change. Another familiar verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. From a child, Timothy, this is Paul speaking, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is how it started for you, Timothy. This is how spiritual life happened for you. It happened through the ministry of your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice, as they brought the word of God to you. The word of God is what changed you and led you to spiritual life. So, Timothy, I want you to understand that what started things for you is the thing that's going to carry it through to the finish line. The word of God is what's going to carry it through. And so, Timothy, as you're ministering to this church in Ephesus, if you want to see God do things in their life, it's only going to happen one way, through the ministry of the word of God. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So the man of God, woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is the purpose. That's the goal. Wise to salvation, faith in Christ, productive and useful in the Christian life. A heart change, teaching for transformation, teaching for spiritual life, teaching for change. Change that helps resemble likeness to Christ, love for Christ, and usefulness for Christ. Nothing is out of reach. The plans that God has set for your life from the foundations of the world are possible because God is able to complete a work in you and make you useful for himself through the word. You will be complete, ready for every good work. Now that should absolutely blow us away. Ready for every good work. Nothing is set aside of the things that God wants to accomplish in you are possible as you become ready for every good work by devoting yourself to the word of God. Usefulness to the work that God has called you to. Productivity, that we are workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so when God creates us and makes us useful for good work, he doesn't let those useful things remain on the shelf. He puts them to work. That's what wise gods do. That's what our God does. So if we want to be useful for the mission, if we want to raise up useful, effective, mission-minded children, in mission-minded people, we take them to the Word because the Word of God will make them useful. That nothing will be out of reach from God's plan for them, His agenda for their life in carrying it through as they become those who are taught from God's Word doctrine and reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So through teaching, but also through discipling. You know this. Again, discipling as it relates to both formal and informal, 
in groups, in one-on-one, young and old, for those who are moving towards full-time ministry, for those who will never be in ministry, discipling, training, equipping. You may not be aware of this, but the deacons in the pastoral team meet regularly, one-on-one, or with couples, with individuals every single week. One-on-one, with Bible studies for counseling with the intent of building up the body of Christ. We're working as a leadership team to, to integrate discipleship into every aspect of ministry. That's our, that's our goal. That's our heart. And so, as it relates to children's curriculum, choosing curriculum for our kids that are going to help parents be able to disciple their children more easily so that their kids from, I think, as young as twos and threes all the way up to fourth grade, they're on the same track, they're on the same story, so mom and dad at home can have one conversation and all the kids who were part of class that day, whatever classes they were in, they can be part of that conversation all feeding into this growing process. Beautiful. It's our approach to Sunday morning. Our connect group strategy is meant to help raise up leaders among our people, whoever they might be, and give them opportunities for real, genuine fellowship. The fellowship that stirs one another up to love and good deeds. The, the kind of fellowship that has discipleship in mind. And by the way, when I, when I think about discipleship, and I think we have to kind of move through this stigma, when we often think about discipleship, we're thinking about discipleship in terms of, of somebody, the more mature to the less mature. So kind of the, the water is running downstream, as it were, on these, uh, this order of continuum of spiritual maturity. So you've got to We've always heard, find somebody who's in the next life stage who can, who can disciple you and, and, and make sure if, if you're being, you're, you're discipling somebody but also being discipled by somebody. And, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage that concept. I think it's fine. But that's not my understanding of discipleship. My understanding of discipleship is that every relationship I'm in, regardless of the continuum in which somebody is spiritually, they have something to contribute to my life. That's what we find, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is, uh, this is extra. So, this must be important. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it says that God has given, okay, I'll back up. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay? That happens as we are relating to one another. That happens as we're in community with each other. There are things that... that New converts do for me to spark a level of enthusiasm for gospel witness that I have kind of, it's kind of dwindled in my life. Like, I don't know if you guys know who Isaac Brandt is or Jordan Ferguson. You kind of hang out with those guys a little bit and they're, Jordan's been uh, in the faith for just like a year and a half. Isaac, man, these guys are on fire. They're on fire. And it's great to hang out with them because my fire for gospel ministry has kind of 
dwindled a bit. I need some heat as it relates to loving unsaved people and understanding the need that, that I have, the, the mission that God has set me on. And, and regardless of, uh, of who you're relating with, have the mind of being taught Teaching and being taught. This mutual ministry that's happening as you're in relationship, as we're stirring one another up to love and good deeds. It doesn't happen one direction. It's supposed to happen mutually, back and forth. As you're in relationship, you're learning from one another. There are experiencing experiences that they have that, that you don't have. There are things that you know about the Bible you don't know. There are perspectives that are that you need to be reminded about and you can't, You can't say that it only happens one direction. If you do, watch out. Because to him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Don't don't allow yourself to be so, so arrogant as to think you got it all together. Let your relationships have discipleship in mind. And by the way, you may be discipler, but you should also be disciply in the same relationship. Okay? That's, that's, that's my perspective. So it happens through teaching. It happens through discipling. It happens through investing. Now when I talk about investing, and I want to pick up on this more tomorrow, because I, I want you to try to... That, that's now where, where uh, revitalization and, 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 and partnering with, with young men and partnering with... Um, with other churches, this is where it really begins to, to come out. And we're going to build on this foundation tomorrow by talking about next steps. How do, we, how do we put these truths, these foundational truths to work? How does it begin to, to happen among us? So when I'm talking about investing, I'm talking about a work in the lives of people that we at Maranatha may never benefit from. Investing that I'm talking about is the kind of energy that we spend, the kind of building up that we do, the kind of work in ministry that we are part of that we may never benefit from ever at Maranatha. And that that's okay. Because we're building into the kingdom. So it, it, it will happen with other young men. Guys like Isaac Dye. Guys like... Zach Leach. Now, we've invested a lot in Alex too, but we, we get to benefit from that because we know Alex is going to stick around for a little while or has stuck around for a little while. I'm talking about the kinds of things where, where we may have guys come in for six months at a time and we may never see them again. The, the kind of, of investment that, by the way, when, when, when these guys were, were hanging out with me for six months... It was 12 to 16 hours a week. And, um, and that was the kind of investment that, that we may never have benefited from. Now, by God's grace, that's kind of... So I was thinking about this today, Isaac. You know, I, I think you owe us another six years because of Sadie. That's, that's what I think. Yeah, that's, that, that's what I think. I, I think... I think I, I think you got 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 a good deal there, uh, Isaac. So, it's good. Um, in investing, investing in the kingdom, investing in a way that we may never benefit from here in in our lifetime, 
But we're not thinking about our program. We're thinking about multiplying God's kingdom. And his kingdom isn't centered at 4663 Treby Road. His kingdom is kind of a little bit bigger than that. All right? So, so investing in other young men, but also investing in other, in other pastors. In, in men that, that may never do ministry here at Maranatha, ever. Praying for them. And you may not be aware of this, but this past year, um, I have been praying for every uh, pastor in the OERBC at once a month. So I will reach out to every pastor in the OERBC once a month and say, how can I be praying for you? And you would not believe how God has opened the door of ministry in people who are really, really struggling and have no one else to talk to. On three occasions, I had somebody tell me, I'm so glad you reached out to me today. I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to give up today. And you reached out to me today. Thank you. There's another pastor who I am one of three people on the planet that he has kind of revealed some very confidential things in his life, the kinds of things he's going through. He has not told anybody else but his wife, his closest friend, and me. Little we little me, way over here. And what's really great about this is because this is a guy that, by the way, has always kind of been one of my heroes, okay? So, so here I am. He's a hero of mine. And, and by God's grace, uh, I'm kind of holding up his hands, as it were, Moses on the mountain. And God is using this ministry to bless another pastor who's really, really struggling. It's been the hardest year of his life. This investment, it's happening. We need to invest in the kingdom, whether or not we ever experience the benefits of that investment. We also need to invest in other churches. And again, tomorrow I'm going to talk more about what that looks like as it relates to engaging churches around us. In, in providing not only some help in terms of pulpit supply, in, in providing help as it relates to, to helping with worship ministry or other kinds of resources. We've, we've done that a lot. Um, but the kind of investment that actually re- results in a relationship of another church, kind of becoming part of our church, revitalizing that church, becoming a team with that other church and those groups of individuals. So now we're tethered together and so we have a common purpose. We're working together to accomplish this objective. And um, I want to talk about that some more tomorrow. But we've had, over the last three years, three churches who have asked us for help in this kind of way. Um, One such church this past year we, um, we, we worked with them for about two and a half months. Every single Wednesday, we, we, we went down there. We introduced them to what the Bible has to say about loving your neighbors. Because as it relates to the, the overarching message that God gives to us, love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, I'm sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? How, how do you know that a church is loving God? Well, that's not tangible, but what is, is how you love your neighbor, right? You, you can see loving for neighbor. 
And so if the love for neighbor is not present, then love for God is really questionable. Right? So we led them through that process, and they say, eh, we don't really want that. So um, if biblical churches are multiplying churches, and you're going to couple yourself with another church, you want to couple yourself with a church that is at least moving in the direction of wanting what God says about doing just basic, fundamental, second greatest command kind of things. <laughs> All right. So what's our vision? Our vision for training. Our vision for training is to eventually be a training center for young men and women as it relates to ministry. Whether it's God's call for them to be a missionary, God's call for them to be a pastor, God's call for them to be a missionary wife or a pastor's wife. How how do we, as a church, strategically seek to be a training center so that we can be this catalyst for life, gospel life, in Columbus and around the world. I would commend to you um, this book called Trellis in the Vine. I also have another great book. Uh, It's out on the Resource Center. It's called Revitalize. It is tremendous. I'll probably bring it into the room tomorrow uh, when we have our next steps and, and give you the opportunity, you can purchase that there. I read it in my plane ride back from Costa Rica, so it's easy to read, and it is phenomenal. I would, I would commend that to you. This kind of goes with the first, but we want to be a pipeline for future servants of God. We want to be a channel for future servants. We want to send them, we want to equip them, we want to train them, we want to deploy them, we want to partner with them, whatever God will let us do. We want to, we want to be this pipeline for, for up-and-coming ministers of God so that we can, so we can help encourage them in relationship to, to what the Bible says about how to be a biblical healthy church, but, but also, um, and since Isaac is, is here, I, I want to be able to program young men to think about biblical philosophies of ministry. I don't think I got that very much when I was in seminary or Bible college. And I don't think there are many seminarians who graduate who've given a first thought to really how to practically do ministry how to integrate discipleship, how to care for people, and and how to to do it in a way that is comprehensive and not disjointed so that that things tie together to accomplish the objective. And and quite honestly, I I love the process of being able to to indoctrinate young men to think about... So... We want them to learn here, serve here, partner, grow, and lead. We want to give them opportunities to walk it through. So multiplying churches, they, also, they train, but they also send. So we've got just a few minutes to cover this. We're going to pick a bulk of this up tomorrow because this is kind of parts of the, the next steps, okay? So multiplying churches train and send. Who do they send? Well, they, they send their members, right? That's... 
That's a big part of, of who they send. Our, our goal is, strate- is to strategically send every member who comes to our church. Every single member, our goal is to send them in some way into the ministry that God has called them to. Now, there are also opportunities that I think we would have to send people even within the city of Columbus to other ministries who need their help. So, for example, about two and a half years ago, there were two ladies in our church, single ladies, who felt like God was calling them to help a church plant on the other side of town. Now, they had been there for several months. I'm actually probably a little more than a year and a half, two years. Okay, And we had no idea about it until they sent us a, we'd like to change our membership, we're helping this other church down. This would have been the golden opportunity to have commissioned them to ministry in a church that, that we knew was was aligned with us theologically, that, that the leaders were loving Jesus, and, and we knew that, that we could trust that ministry to do a gospel work there and to make it visible, to make it public, and to send people from our church to, to, to join in their ministry and to say, hey, God has given us the joy of coming alongside these young ladies and, and seeing this happen and, and to help our church understand that that's what our goal is, our mission is, is to send, to send our members, even within Columbus. And so I think we missed a strategic opportunity. And I'd like to capitalize on those in the future. I, I want our church to understand that, that it's not about hoarding good people. It's about developing people and then deploying those people. It's what God has called us to. It's the mission of every pastor in every church to raise up and equip and to send their people into the world to carry out God's work. So, we send our members. Obviously, we send our members into the world around us, into their communities, into their workplaces, into their schools, wherever God has them. Sometimes we we send them to other churches within our same state. Sometimes we send them on mission around the world, right? But but that's that's the goal, is to help our people understand that they're they're sent. This one might be harder to swallow. Multiplying churches also send their leaders. They send their most qualified. They send their best. And just with the little time that we have, I want to try to develop this just a bit and and give you some, some substantial proof in the Scripture to confirm this because I think this is probably the, the hardest one for us to swallow. Okay? We, we send our most qualified. We send our, our A-team. Seriously? We don't do that. Who does that? Well, churches that want to multiply and prioritize the kingdom of God do that. We see this in Acts chapter 6. Okay? I want to try to breeze through these. So hang on. Acts chapter 6. This is, of course, um, this is the, the commissioning or the raising up of deacons. It says, Now in those days when disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being rejected or neglected in the daily distribution. 
Now, then verse 3 to 5 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. This is the the A-team, as it were. This is the seven cream of the crop elite leaders among you who you can trust to carry out this work. They, they have these qualities. They, they've got an outstanding reputation. They're, they're full of the Holy Spirit. You know that they love Jesus. Pick those kinds of people. Okay, so they did. It pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. That's the, the guy I want to kind of key in on here. So they chose Philip, one of these guys, one of these seven. So then, here in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 5, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, this is not an example of active commissioning and active sending, but this is just the reality of what happens in churches. We lose the best, and that should be okay. Because when... People like the Phillips of the world leave your church. God is going to use them mightily somewhere else. And we need to be okay with that. An investment in the Phillips and in the Stevens is good because the kingdom of God is good. And the gospel that God has put them on, the mission that God has set before them, is the mission that that we should be affirming and blessing. But but then Philip shows up and the city comes to Christ. And so then now we get to this, this active commissioning, active sending in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Okay? This isn't just the A-team. This is like the Creme de la creme. This is like the, the pillars of the church. That's what Paul will say in the book of uh, Galatians. He says, you know, James and, and, and Peter and John, like they, they, were the, they were the dudes. They were the big dogs in Jerusalem. And those are the ones they sent. They sent the best. They came down and prayed for them in Samaria that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter will go, at this point, in Acts chapter 9, he'll go to the saints in Lydda, which is 22 miles from Jerusalem. He'll go to Joppa, which is another nine miles down the road. And we don't really ever see him in Jerusalem again, except for in Acts chapter 15. Because the church has decided to carry out the objective that Jesus had given to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Peter felt particularly invested in that commitment to carry out God's work, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's exactly what God has Peter do. So, then we find him in Acts chapter 11. This church of Antioch begins to form... And so what then happens? Well, the church in Jerusalem hears about it. And they hear about the fact that there's a group of Jews who have been won to Christ and a group of Gentiles that have been won to Christ in the same city. But the, the, the difficulty is it doesn't seem like they're blending too well. 
And so who do they send? Well, they, they send Barnabas, of course, this son of encouragement. They, they send the, the best and brightest in Jerusalem to go up and help draw this community of believers, Jews and Gentiles, together because, because it's about the kingdom of God. And, and then, so what, is, what does Barnabas do? Well, the hand of the Lord was with this church. Great number believed in the Lord. It talks about Barnabas in verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit in faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is like Jerusalem reboot, right? This is like Jerusalem 2. Things are going down in Antioch. Good things are happening there. Things are good. Uh, let's keep this going. Let's see how, how long we can, we can let this church grow. Well, the Holy Spirit has other plans in Acts chapter 13. There were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. The very best were sent from Antioch. The pillars of that church. (laughs) We need to have a mindset that it's not just about the church that we're in. We need to have a mindset that wherever God calls our people, our members, our leaders, we need to have a heart that is ready and willing to send those leaders to be about the kingdom work. 